I don't know if he bites people. Does he bite anyone's ear off? No. Just... <laughs> <laughs> He's Mike not Tyson. Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me is my co-host, Alan. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. I always feel like I need to do magician hands when I say that. Provoke your progressive Christian imagination. Anyway, (laughs) this week we're going to answer the question, do we still hunt witches? And we're going to close the show with another Jesus Jesus Juke segment, (laughs) uh, this time centered around horror movie tropes. Uh, So let's get into it. What do we mean by the question, do we still hunt witches today? Uh, Clearly, we're being a little bit cheeky because we're moving into the the Halloween season, the beginning of the holiday season. Um, (laughs) But we really... (laughs) Uh, we really feel like there's some really important things for us to learn in connection to that question with the way that we frame morality, the way that we uh, look at the world, the way we hold on to our philosophies and our theology, and how those things can affect not only other people, but the culture around us and give in to our the worst of us in a, in a way. Right. So I I studied a lot of church history, and I always mm-hmm. find it kind of funny when we look at periods before us and say, wow, they were so out of touch. They were so wrong. They hunted witches. They, you know, I think of Pawnee Mytho. Bon- <laughs> Pawnee Mython is hey, my I favorite. I have a little bit of a cold today. <laughs> I think it's the beginning this morning. Monty Python, like, you know, throwing people in the water or whatever. And we think, oh, they're so backward. And I think the the, the mechanics of what allowed people at least provided some sort of justification for the witch hunts um, about witch hunts. We're talking about like the late medieval period up to like the eight, even the 18th century where like thousands and thousands of people were executed for being witches. I think there's um, like 60,000 is what I've heard before. And there are a whole host of reasons for why the witch hunts happen. I mean, there's like socioeconomic and environmental stuff, politics, religion. There was religious wars going on in Europe between like the Lutherans and the Calvinists. And a lot of it was political, but took religious reasons. And so hunting people who had like bad theology and and were different in the communities served a, a pretty political purpose in some cases. But what I'm interested in, at least from a church history perspective, is the the grounding and the justification for people hunting witches. And uh, I I trace this all the way back in my um, seminary studies to Thomas Aquinas and even further back to Aristotle. And so the, the there's two Dominican monks in 1486, Heinrich Kramer and Jacob Springer, who write a, a handbook called the Malleus Maleficarum, the hammer of witches. It is supposed to be, an instruction manual on why witches exist, how they exist, a justification for hunting them and ways to torture them. Just awful. One of the worst documents in human history. And um, it was put into effect by a papal bull under Pope Innocent VIII, which is kind of funny to me anyway, because you know, he's not that innocent. <laughs> I'm not that innocent. Wow. Um, Bringing in Britney Spears to uh, do it, the man. discussion. Okay. Hey, I was in junior high and like, 1999, 2000, 
So Britney Spears is always appropriate. <laughs> and uh, it, in this Mally Smell Vicarum, it like details the differences between witches and a, a, a portion of it, not the whole thing, but a portion of it is dedicated to like why women, female witches, the female witch trope, right? This woman mixing her elixir in the dark in the woods with this pointy hat flying on a broom. Like why why women are more likely to be witches and and why punishing them is appropriate. And even though there's not this direct link to Thomas Aquinas, who lived like 250 years before them, um, the theological history of Thomas Aquinas was so massive. He published Summa Theologica, and that is this book that um, that just really influenced Christian history. And uh, it's it's an attempt to bring together like systematized theology, one of the first systematic theologies, where he puts out a series of uh, logical equations using tradition. Thomas Aquinas talks about the philosopher throughout the book, and the philosopher is Aristotle, which goes back right to Greek history before Christ, obviously. And Aristotle talked about women in general being. Um, lesser than men. His idea was that uh, a thing, an essence of a thing is identified with its function. And what do women do other than having babies or providing the soil for men to like till? And so men were this higher echelon and women, this lower thing. He even said that women, and this is something Thomas Aquinas agreed with in church history. We call him a church father. He agreed with Aristotle and in Summa Theologica said that women were misbegotten males. You know, this is really a lot of information and it goes back many years, but I believe it provided the justification for the witch hunts as crazy as that sounds. Women were misbegotten males when they're conceived. We talked about this on the show, like I can't remember what episode a long time ago, but when women are conceived, like maybe a South wind blows and like messes up the semen and then you get a woman because she's a misbegotten male. And, uh, and then, <laughs> If you if you follow that through Thomas Aquinas all the way to Kramer and Springer in uh, the Hammer of Witches, they make the case that because Eve was formed from the rib of Adam, she's crooked because, you know, ribs are crooked. And so, like, she's more likely to be prone to evil, to have a slippery tongue, to fall into things like witchcraft. And so you have years of people executing women because of things like uh, sudden infant death syndrome which was a thing back then. But when a, when a child died, they'd be like, there was a, a sense that, oh, maybe it was the midwife or maybe it was these women. And I think from a political standpoint or maybe like a cultural one, it's interesting to accuse women who are very powerful in the community, like midwives, because they're connected to all these other women, to accuse them of wrongs and to, to execute them. There was ideas that they even stole babies and, you know, did sacrifices in the woods or cannibalism. And so the Malleus Maleficarum was fashioned as the church's response, drawing on all this philosophical history that goes back to Aristotle through Thomas Aquinas. And it's not critiqued by these people, but just accepted as fact that women are like this. And that's why they become witches. And it supported something like torturing people and executing people for bogus claims. And we can stand back on this side of, of history and say, <laughs> thank God we're not like them, right? Like the like Jesus's story in the temple, a religious leader looking at that tax collector and saying, like, oh, thank God I'm not like him. <laughs> and uh, we still do witch hunts today. We don't hunt, you know, witches. And also I want to say Wicca, we're, we're not talking about 
uh, Wicca and the practices of religion today. When we say witch, we're referring to medieval um, trials and executions. We don't want to disparage people's um, spirituality and religion right now. And when we talk about hunting witches today, maybe we don't say, oh, that person's a witch or whatever, but we still refuse to critique the things that we've inherited. We see things that were are recognizable, and so we think of them as true. And so I would propose it's not just progressives, people who are uh, stepping out and critiquing their faith. It's not just progressives who have to do this work of looking critically at all, everything they've inherited. We all have to because stuff like the malleus maleficarum and executing people happens when you don't. We may not be executing people, but we're excommunicating people, right? We're accepting things that are extremely damaging for our earth, for other people, for our society, and for ourselves because we refuse to look at them critically. And so the question would be, what are our witch hunts today? You know, what are the things that we've just received and haven't questioned? It's not only the things that we have received and the the things that we hold dear as far as our philosophies and theologies and mm-hmm. what we've inherited that way, but it's also um, it's a reflection of how we view the other from our perspective. You know, I mean, this goes into nationalism. It goes to xenophobia. It goes into racism. It goes into sexism. Like everything that we have, like if we have an ill towards someone else, it's much easier to justify it. And I think that there are certain structures and theologies and philosophies in place that help help us continue to hold on to that resistance against the other, resistance against something that's different. Uh, so I think I think it's a, it's a wide variety of things. And I don't think that we include from from a church perspective when we think of maintaining our well-being or having some sort of self-care ritual we can call it spiritual disciplines we can call it whatever we want it's usually centered around some particular practice that causes us to go inward right like meditation uh prayer uh reading our bible Mm -hmm. studying all that kind of stuff and very few of our church disciplines or even liturgies things that we consider worship things that we consider um things that are supposed to connect us to god very few of them cause us and push us to go outward to look beyond where we are like even there's been a couple churches that i've heard of that when they do their wisdom reading for their liturgy they actually bring in song lyrics from people they bring in passages from other religious texts to kind of bring in an outside voice and and we don't do that very often in the church. We don't expose ourselves to different ideas. We don't put ourselves in a place to to be confronted with something that's different and strange in a way that's celebratory, in a way that's embracing, in a way that's, wow, that's really interesting. Uh, that That's all really well said. That I love that. And I think the pushback against that would be, well, we have sufficiency in Christ. We have sufficiency in scripture, whatever our traditions are, we've, we've received. And... I, I would say what you just said is important for even understanding those things, for even understanding the traditions that we have. We have to step out of whatever context we've received and look at them from different angles. I mean, Absolutely. gosh. So other, looking at people as other, like they looked at the witches as being the other, right? And then their religious tradition supported looking at them as other. We do that to creation itself. Like we look at the world and we think we're not a part of this. It's been given to us. The Greeks talked about like – the soul of a of a human being, the rationality, put them in a different category than animals, a different category than the rest of creation. And you look at Genesis and you're like, dude, you're you know, we're made from the dirt, <laughs> like the same stuff. And it's like all interconnected. Super interesting. I, I think for us, it's easy. My evangelical background to say things like we don't have to care for the earth because we've received this 
Greek philosophy down through the ages that got codified into our religion, putting humanity, you know, making everything anthropocentric, humanity above the rest of creation, whereas science shows us, no, we're intimately connected. Our DNA is connected to everything around us. And, and critically thinking through that is a way to even engage our own texts, right? I just referenced Genesis. You can actually read it for what it is rather than thinking with all this other stuff. If you, if you listen to other avenues and other sources of information, it doesn't have to be something that threatens your faith, but something that, like you said, is a spiritual discipline. I love framing it that way. This is a spiritual discipline of practicing, you know, I may not hunt witches, but what do I do? What, what are the things I do accept as normal and then act on with huge consequences? Absolutely. And I think the the other part of that is that n- most of the time, those huge consequences aren't our consequences, right? So when you, when you speak in terms of the environment, those things that we accept and just move forward with that have huge consequences, they're not something that we see right away. And they're going to be consequences for later generations or, or mm-hmm. those people or, you know, this place over there. And I think that that's a, another part of the issue is that entrenched in this, especially when we're talking about religious values and we get into nationalism and racism and all that right. kind of stuff, there's power dynamics at play in the sense that I can hold these beliefs and not be challenged on them because no one's there to challenge me. And I can throw this word out or this statement out in the ether and, you know, get a stream of Twitter responses or whatever, but it really doesn't affect my daily life. It almost becomes a game. I have no real life face-to-face consequences for those actions. And I think that that's, that's something to consider is that are we even putting ourselves in a place to fully realize our words, our theology, right? Mm-hmm. If I say something uh, in regard to another people group, but I have no exposure or experience or relationship with someone from that people group, then what am I really, what am I really doing? And what am I really for, changing? For instance, <laughs> I see people all the time will read a handbook on Islam by someone who is Islamophobic and like hates uh, the religion and they write this handbook. And so people start spreading their ideas and thoughts about Islam without ever talking to someone who's a Muslim or without yep. ever sitting down and like hearing from the original texts or like how they're used or any of that. Yeah. I read, I read my handbook on cults from the Christian bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> I know everything about Catholicism and Scientology oh and gosh. whatever. And they're all, you know what I mean? Like that whole mentality and that idea. What, what was that book? The kingdom of the cults. I, you know, I bet you I have it on my shelf somewhere. If I just look around, Hey, there it is. Walter Martin, dude. Kingdom of the Colts. <laughs> I have a special uh, with Robbie Zacharias. I didn't know that. Wow. Um, so I have a, a bookshelf at the bottom of my – a shelf on the bottom of my bookshelf in my library uh, that's kind of hidden from view where I put fun things down there. See, <laughs> and and even, even that book, like the, the, the surface of it is this is about someone else's philosophy, but the yes. whole framing of the book is viewed through – what right. we believe viewed for all those things that we've inherited and put out there. We don't step out often. And I think it becomes difficult, especially the more, the more power that is involved, especially within a church situation. In my experience, when I've been in denominations and they talk about the church, they'll say the church, we need to have unity in the church. Really they're, they're, they're using the church for a right. synonym for our denomination, our yeah. church. They're papering over all the differences that exactly. exist in Christianity. You know, um, I, I do want to like belabor this point 
there there are group reading groups where there are Muslim, Jewish, and Christian readers come together to read their holy texts, and they'll they'll rotate between a Christian text, a Hebrew text, and a text from the Quran, and the group will sit honestly together and start with this community and read each of these texts, and everyone walks away with totally different insight and perspective on their own religious texts. Mm -hmm. So I think for being a Christian, just eschewing any other perspective, you're cheapening your experience of your own faith, of your own tradition. This is not just a progressive thing. This is like, this is an attempt to be honest. You have lenses. You've been given, if you're in my country, a nationalism bred into the the bones of your religion, right? God and country. Our religious forefathers came here saying this was their promised land. We, they, they use the texts for Jewish people and the writings about Israel and the tribes taking over that land and applied it directly to ours. This is our land given to us by God. Yeah, you can, you can accept that tradition and believe that, but you have to like really look at it. I don't believe that. I don't believe that coming over here, you can just look at all these people groups and say, Oh, God's given this to me. This is mine now. Like that's, that's a very specific viewpoint that really served some pretty horrific purposes. We don't have to bash the country and we're in necessarily right now. We can love everyone around us. We can be citizens that are thoughtful, but we can also look at that history and be like, you know what, what is that doing to other people right now? If we feel like we're God's gift to the world, that allows us to do stuff in other countries that should make us blush, should make us like, you know, how many countries are we bombing right now? Because we're God's gift to the world. Nine. Can we name all of them? <laughs> like our theology supports that. It may not be an inquisition, but we're dropping bombs in Tokar. We're, we're bombing weddings and killing a whole bunch of people because we're God's gift to the earth. And like, you're like, oh, that's just a progressive thing. It's not. Being a Christian means like sitting honestly with our traditions, but also struggling with them. Isn't Israel named after the dude who wrestled God? Isn't that the whole point? Like wrestling with God, not just your traditions, but God. Oh my gosh. We have to wrestle with this stuff. And there are so many people that are uncomfortable, Jeff. They are. They're so uncomfortable. And I think that there's small things that we can do on a regular basis because we can say, I, I think the underlining theme when we talk about these things is we're obviously coming from a place of post-evangelical. So a lot of yeah. when, we, when we're thinking of these things and we're talking about them, we see them from the lens of probably our past, like our conservative right. brothers and sisters that, that you know, they read this text this way and, you know, they're on the right and all that kind of stuff. But I do we believe we do this on the left as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been I've, I've had a difficult time. During this, you know, whole, I don't even know what to call it, Trump era, whatever, <laughs> in, our, in our country, where um, it's easy to demonize someone who voted for Trump. Right. And uh, I, I, I'm conflicted with that. And I've seen a series of tweets from um, Nadia Boltz-Weber uh, recently that has kind of challenged that idea. And I think it's important. And I think there are little things that we can do on an individual basis to begin right. to start to shift our focus, right? So you mentioned when you were talking this idea of, look at this blessing I've received. And I think that one of the ways that when when we're entering into something new or we're entering into something good, I think maybe the first question we should ask ourselves is, who else has received this? Who else is experiencing this right now? And I wonder how they look at this thing that I have. And then begin allow that to frame our mind in the way that we approach things that come our way and our comfort and our whatever we want to call them blessings. 
And I think that small, small things like that, they begin to affect us over time in the way that we begin to think. Once we begin to look at the good things that come into our life as beginnings of an exploration, then I think that that frames our focus to begin to take our experiences outside of just ourself and our own bubble and begin to find out from others like, oh, well, how did they look at this? How did this happen? And I'm not saying that's going to change the world, but I think at the very least, it will expose things in us that we may be not realize are there that are lying dormant until that thing happens in the news or that thing happens in our life that causes us to kind of react to something that's other than what we're used to. Right. Because these are, these are big questions, right? Like these are big things they to are. tackle and they feel, you can feel like you're, you're helpless and you're not making progress. And I think that it's important for us to stop and really evaluate the way we think about everything, even the little things and allow that to begin to, to, to shift our focus in the bigger things. It's a muscle though. It being comfortable with discomfort and being able to question things is a muscle. It absolutely is. It atrophies if you don't use it. I mean, and and I think this is this may be silly to some people, but I think it's also important with the the books that we read. And you know, when we started this whole thing of Irenacast, um, and after I think about fifteen episodes, I went to well, I don't have much of a bookshelf anymore because it's all on my iPad. But I scrolled through my (laughs) my list of books. And I, you know, I looked at the names and the authors. I'm like, oh man, white guy, white guy, white oh, guy, yeah. white guy, white guy. Oh, another white guy. Uh, and I realized, wow, I really, even though I've, I feel like I've moved forward in some of the ways that I approach the world and the way that I approach right. things, there's still a lot that's the same. And oh, yeah. I don't read anything that makes me uncomfortable. I don't read anything that makes me think beyond what I'm thinking right now. And that it really changed my focus on the the media I consume, the books that I read, and really learning to enjoy discomfort, not in like a <laughs> a weird sadistic way, but in a way of, wow, my world is not the only world. Because we right. say it, we say it, but there are times where we have to be reminded of it. One of the most profound experiences that I had in my movement forward in my faith was when I went into college for my uh, biblical studies, and theology uh, degree, I went in excited about the fact that I was going to be confirmed in all the things that I believed that I had, <laughs> I had to figure it out. And now I'm just going to have a degree to show that, you know, everything that's going oh, on. And then I, Jeff. I know, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I left my first old Testament theology class, and then when I finished it, I realized, wow, I have so much to learn. And there's so much I don't know. And any other time in my life, I would have been like, that's awful. Like I would have felt bad about that. I would have tried to justify whatever, but there, it was almost freeing. There was this freeing sense of, oh, I get to learn more. There's more places where I can move. I'm not in this place only. And I, I kind of have chased that feeling ever since. Maybe it's a, I don't know. I don't know what that says about me, but I think it's an important place to be in our lives to recognize that yes. where we are is not the end. It's not the destination. I always go back to that analogy of spirituality is less of a building and more of a, um, I think it was Rob Bell or something who called it a trampoline, something you use, something you work with. And you're, if you're not constantly maintenancing it, um, it becomes a stilted thing and it can hurt your own soul and hurt, uh, other people too. I say soul because I believe. Anyway, I believe the human being is one thing. (laughs) Sometimes I throw out terms and I don't realize. We already had that episode. We already had that episode. (laughs) (laughs) But it hurts you. It hurts your nefesh, the wholeness of who you are. And other people, man, 
it's so easy to even point out how that works. Just look at your your timeline. Ask some of the older people in your life or even the younger people how much they're on Facebook now. I know some people are like, oh, I don't even say anything because it just gets criticized and torn apart. Or um, everyone is extremely reactionary and they don't want to be a part of this. And it's like on the other side of things, whether that's progressive or left or just different or whatever, uh, there's there's a whole lot of that too, like you said. And there are – Fewer and fewer people, it feels like, who are willing to be uh, more humble and sit with stuff. And and I get that. I get why. Because there's so much damage being done. It's like, no, we have to be solid and strong and come against this evil. But it's like, that creates a monolith too. And, uh, and it creates more collateral damage, right? So we make these definitive statements because I 100% wholeheartedly agree when there's evil and there's wrong, we need to call it out. We need to name it. There's, there's power in that. But instead of, you know, stamping the evil, we kind of throw out a, a name gas and it kind of affects anyone in the vicinity. Right. Know, that's a horrible analogy, but I think, <laughs> I think you see what I'm saying. So uh, the Trump thing is actually really interesting because that, there's a witch hunt for Trump supporters, right? Privately, I feel like sometimes I feel like Eminem. Here's a line in the sand. <laughs> if you're with me, <laughs> did you see that just come out? It I just did, came yeah. out like uh-huh. There's a line in the sand. And if you are if you have a hard time deciding whether you're going to be with me or with him, let me make it easy for you. F you. And <laughs> he flips off the camera, right? Like sometimes privately I feel like that. And I have conversations with people I love who supported Trump. And I'm like, I have a hard time with a lot of who Trump is and what he does. And they always tell me, well, what about Hillary? And I'm like, well, I didn't honestly, I didn't even vote for Hillary. And so it's not, I don't want to say like I'm on the moral high ground or whatever, but I have a very difficult time with so many of the things that he does. And I don't say that publicly very often, but I don't want to demonize all the, the people who voted for him around me because they're my neighbors and we're going to live together and we're going to, discover how to do that better. And I think that there is such a wider middle ground than we realize every, this whole uh, impulse to categorize other people as other is, is a farce, dude. It is like, it feels a lot stronger than it really is. Cause like, so gun, gun control, right? So many people agree when I, when it gets down to it, I talk to the most ardent gun supporters who are card carrying NRA members, all this other stuff. They're totally pro gun. They put all the memes up on Facebook and we actually have a conversation. They're like, Oh yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) It's like, we have so much common ground. What are we doing? Why are we being co-opted by these bigger things? There's so much frustration that I could just talk about now, but that probably derails the conversation a little bit. Uh, and I think it's hard. I think I no, I think that that goes exactly with what we're doing. Like, you know, how how difficult it is, is it is it for us on this side when we see one of those memes to not then, you know, when you're when you're scrolling through Facebook, you see the meme before you see the person. Right. So I when I when I read a meme or I read a little post in my mind, I'm always like whether I should read it or click on it, who posted this? And then I'll look up and I'll be like, oh, whatever. It's that person. That's what they're always going to think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's this there's this mode that we go into. And I think that it's partly because we we associate our our anger towards a person instead of necessarily an ideal or the thought that's behind that. Do you think that the problem is uh, that the thoughts behind memes and stuff are cheap? they're intended to get a reaction on both sides 
and it's not like real conversation. It's just putting stuff up. Um, I think about witches, right? They were a trope. They were like yeah. the medieval version of a meme. There's these midwives who could just touch someone's stomach and cause a miscarriage and they're sacrificing stuff to Satan. It's these little stories that got spread around, right, to all these different European countries and then were served served certain purposes. And it's like how much – yeah, we're provoking thought maybe, but I don't see that too often. I just see people putting it up and it serving the purpose of – reifying your 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 thoughts already like you're already this supporter and so it's just deepening your rut that you're in and you can't speak to the other side and we don't need cheap tropes human beings are complex and our problems are complex gun control is not an easy issue um the environment uh everything they're not just one one and done kind of things that are solved with memes and we need a humanity that's more complex and our conversations need to be more complex. And we have to develop that muscle to be able to sit with people to actually agree that we might be wrong. Like just begin with that, that we're, we're going to learn together and solve problems. Otherwise we commit genocide and kill 60,000 people. Like I, I don't mean to make a false equivalence. I actually do think we can be just as bad as our ancestors because we're it's it's so, so much what, what's the word for it when we look chronological hubris i think it, <laughs> i forgot what it was there's some term out there when you look back and you're like oh we're so much better humanity has progressed so far <laughs> and it's like well we've done some pretty awful things <laughs> and continue to just because we assume that's the way it is yeah and and that's the problem like how do you combat that notion of that's the way it is right so we're talking about nuance and important to have conversation but our whole structure our our government structure our media structure where we get all of our information is been boiled down to 140 characters it's been boiled down to one one picture with a sentence so how do we as as people combat the fact that that is the way that our culture communicates if if you're talking about engagement if you're talking about learning we can take steps ourselves right uh, don't unfollow all the sources that, are, that disagree. Try to read long form journalism rather than snippets. There's a lot of things we can do. But if you're going to talk about engagement with culture, that's the difference between memification and art in my mind. Art like provokes something that rather than having this conversation with all these different caveats that it's like here's just something that's provocative, right? Like immigration. There's a picture uh, that's shared to our Facebook page of a – of a um, picnic across a border. It's just a picnic table that's set across the, the border with Mexico. And there's people in Mexico and people in America eating together. It's like whatever you're going to say about, you know, you're going to politicize this. You're going to have these deep stuff. But art hits something very central to our nerves. Like, oh, dude, we are humans. Do we all eat together? We all have to eat. Like this is uh, something that we share. It's just really interesting how art cuts through that stuff. So I'm interested in like share art, beautify stuff, make stuff in the world that like cuts through all of the noise and all of the um, the back and forth. That's what I'm interested in. I love it when I see it. And I could tell the difference. Yeah, but even even going back to what you're saying about long form, you know, long form journalism and all that kind of stuff, that is a luxury. A luxury that a lot of the masses don't have, whether it's because of lack of education or just lack of time because someone's right. working this many jobs or whatever. And 
you know, especially like where does the responsibility lie for the people that are putting out quick information? I mean, even more so from our president, like the fact that, you know, quote unquote policy is being thrown out there from a tweet. Like, what is someone supposed to think when the president says something regarding where they're going to move in the country just from a flippant tweet at 3 a.m. in the morning? And how how that muddies the water so much that it, w- w- there has to be responsibility somewhere as the purveyors of this information right. and where they're going to put it out there because it's it's capitalizing on the whole idea of a witch hunt, right? Is like the people who have the yeah. the the power of the information they're putting something out there, and you know I think I think a number one pl- any place that's that restricts someone from moving forward in any kind of information, especially contrary information, that's a good place to, to know whether that's a valid source or not. But, uh, but even like disparaging so disparaging entire press corps that don't right? agree with you. <laughs> I mean, gosh, like everything that I, when, you know, when, when I was working in youth ministry, uh, we, we dealt with some kids that were having really difficult times in their lives. And, you know, we, we did our, we did our due diligence when it came to like looking for signs of abuse and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, all the things that you read about someone who's an abusive person are the same tactics that oh, our yeah. very president is using to isolate people from information and only concentrate on this. And then anyone who disagrees gets verbally abused through Twitter or just straight 100 up. hundred years of Rick and Morty. You and me, Morty. <laughs> We're against the world, Morty. They're going to try to tear us apart, Morty, but you don't let them. You listen to me, Morty. <laughs> it's a hundred years of Rick and Morty. It's exactly that. it. That was probably one of my favorite parts of any cartoon episode ever was just that little bit capturing the narcissism and control of Rick, like manipulating Morty in that moment while he's like struggling on the ground with his like broken legs or whatever. And he's moaning. That's like the greatest display of like what it feels like or, you know, that is so it actually inspired me. I was like, God, I want to have a hundred years of Rick and Morty. I really do. And, uh, (laughs) and it's like, you're, you inspire this confidence with people that you manipulate. And yeah, that that's our public discourse now. And the question is, is complexity and the stuff that takes more energy discomfort? Is there a place for that anymore? And can it compete? Can these like spaces of thinking differently or opening ourselves up to learning, can that even compete anymore with the easily digestible anger and well, and not only that, but we have we have algorithms that confirm our bias. Like, right. it's weird, like that we have to. Our actively... brain does that anyway, and I now know, there's but it's... software out there that's doing it for us too. So, like, to really to, ca- to be a healthy person, we have to click on things that we don't like in order for the computer to give us something that's going to help I us refuse. be more well rounded. I refuse to do the cheap stuff. So when I open up certain, like, I will go out of my way to learn from the, from a different side, but if it's cheap. And it's just inflammatory and it's obviously like whether it's left or right or center, I don't do it anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to get off of that. I block all news, all news, good or bad in in Facebook just because I, if I want news, I don't go to Facebook. I go to Facebook for connecting with people. So anytime I see an article, I go hide. I don't want to see any more like this. Right. And, you know, over a month or a month, two months, it I slowly I didn't see any like articles in my news feed. Because I want news about my the people that I like, but I mean, <laughs> in all that, okay. So, and this goes back to um, what we were talking about in the beginning about this idea: of, do we still hunt witches? Is because inevitably this false information, this bias that's happening out there, it's not just this thing. Oh, I had wrong information, and and now I can't have a discussion with someone. It directly affects whole people groups. I was listening to a uh, interview recently 
with a woman who, who a journalist who is Muslim who actually goes and interviews people who are high up in ISIS, like has been captured, has been in prison, has almost died and talked about her upbringing as a Muslim in America and talking about how she went to a Catholic school and that when her Muslim, devout Muslim parents would talk about Christianity, they would talk of it in terms of, oh, they're our cousins. They're like family. We're right. under the same banner. We, we, we all come from, you know, we're religions of Abraham. And, and that was her context growing up as a kid. Oh, well, they're Christians. They're just like our cousins. They're, they're people that we can connect with. And there's a positive notion to it. And she said, all right. that changed after 9-11. And as I was growing up, I never, ever, ever had, with the exception of Judaism, for probably obvious reasons, right. never was another religion framed as, well, they're kind of like us. And, you know, here are the things we have in common. Right. It was always framed as don't read their stuff. If you believe anything than that, it's a slippery slope and you'll end up falling away from Jesus. You open yourself up to, and that's, and that's powerful because that affects powerful. the way that we see people and it affects that we, the way that we interact with the world it affects the way that we vote. It makes real change on the world. And I think that that's why we have to be even more careful about the way that we approach the world and the way that we approach our information intake is because it's going to ultimately affect real people in real ways that I, I saw someone say that it's that it's safe. It's safe for them to not risk opening themselves up to other types of philosophy or ideas um, outside of their tradition because they don't want to bet their eternity on it. And it's like, actually, no, that's one of the riskiest things you can do in my mind. You just have to pray to God you were born into the right tradition with the exact right tra like way to live in the world and be a human being. Because if you're not, then you, you can't open yourselves up to any, any other thoughts, you know? And it's like, no, it's way riskier to think uncritically, to to just accept stuff and fight against everything else and shut yourself down to other people because you lose other people, you lose humanity, you lose God. I mean, I mean, how many assumptions do people hold? How many awful assumptions, false assumptions that in 50, 100 years are going to be so asinine that any one of us believe that, that we hold <laughs> about people's sexuality, that we hold about people's religions, that we hold about certain political views, the things that we put out there or that anyone puts out there as fact that are so off base because it's, it's coming from a place of not of desire for knowledge or desire for learning right. or desire for connection or even desire for God, regardless of what someone would say the opposite of all those things. And it's just coming from a place of that's a, different. I don't understand it. A desire then, for comfort. Yeah. And the best way for me to be thing. shielded from it is to demonize it and push it off to the side. Right. Cause everything we're, everything you're talking about just requires so much work. It's harder to get rid of all of your progressive white male post evangelical books and start reading some from a different context. Cause you don't know what to expect. You actually have to listen and read with both eyes open because you can kind of have one eye closed when you're reading people who think like you mm -hmm. and just like power through it. I had the same thing, by the way. I went to my council and it was like, hey, what are your favorite books? And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> <laughs> here's all of this stuff. And I'm like, and I am woefully unexposed to some of the I've read like little snippets and PDFs of, you know, four pages from uh, some theology of oppression book and that's it <laughs> like i have surface level engagement with everyone outside of my own tradition um but you know what's funny is i have i have many years i have many years as a minister and as a human being to work on that to read stuff outside of my own context to open myself up and, and to encourage that, others to do the yeah, same i have to say as i've done that a little bit 
Oh my god. Oh man, the 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 wonders that it has done for my mind and body and heart are just astronomical. And I mean this, I am a better Christian for sitting down with Buddhist and Confucian and Hindu traditions and just trying to be honest and let them speak for themselves without passing judgment first and just listening and reading with um, sincerity because these people live and work in sincerity just like we assume we do. And so mm-hmm. it has been such a life-giving thing for me and it's made me a better Christian. And I would invite anyone to do that. Yeah. It, it, it will. Um, and, and in terms of, you know, working in a church as a minister, I've had this happen to me more in progressive churches than I have had in my experience in evangelical churches. But I have had so many people and I'm just I'm just an associate. I'm not even a pastor. Technically, I'm a director. You know what I mean? Like, but I've had so many people pull me aside after a class or come to me in the hallway in the church that I'm at and ask me, like, I believe this. Is that OK? Like, is that okay that we've created an environment for someone to feel like they have to ask if it's okay yes. to hold a thought? It's just, That's you know, scary as it all is. hell. And it's hard. It's heartbreaking <laughs> to, to have to say to someone, of course, it's okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, this Look is at our history, though. You think differently. It starts wars. It, uh, it leads to witch hunts. It like, yeah, that's our history. Those scars have stayed with us. And so, of course, we're scared to go outside the group think. And it's sad. <laughs> it's awful. It is. It's it's horrifying to me. And and I think that at, in any place that we have where we have influence over people, we need to be aware of that because we're not just right. affecting ourselves. And right. to be able to put information and stuff out there that is different and, and to hear from people. Wow, I've never heard that before. Mental As, control is slavery, right? Right. Right. Not allowing a person to think for themselves and like disrespecting their agency and helping them to disrespect their own agency is a form of slavery. Mm-hmm. And God, I want the year of Jubilee in all elements of my life. I want freedom um, to be who I'm created to be. And that is a an agent who is able to think for myself and That's wrestle right. with these things. That's our so, God given right. So the answer to our questions is, do we still hunt witches? Hell, yes, we do. And we need to knock that crap off yep. <laughs> and and start being part of the solution, whether it's uh, – and, and not demonizing anyone who's other than us, right. not perpetuating information that's false, that creates people, that almost forces people neurologically to, to be caged into a certain viewpoint and not to encounter but to lash out. Uh, we need to be responsible with the things that we post, with the things that we say, with the way that we frame our views of people who we consider other. Whether they're conservative or not, we right. have to engage and not retaliate. We weaponize all of our stuff as opposed to you know using it as a tool for connection. So maybe stop telling people to GTFO when uh, <laughs> they're not patriotic. God, in one of the churches that you worked in, I was at, I saw a video of these vets who were talking about military service. And they're like, I just talked to a student in this church, and they didn't want to join the military because they didn't think it was worth it. Well, they can leave. And everyone in church is like, woohoo. And I was like, that's a witch hunt right there. Yes. Right there. You are labeling someone and ostracizing them uh, because they think differently. And, dude, I have to say, I know I keep harping on the environment thing, but all – of the animals in the world will soon be pigs, chickens, and and cows, right? <laughs> all the animals in the world. <laughs> Two-thirds of all wild animals will be killed between 1970 and 2020, right? In 50 years, two-thirds of all wild animals because we see some animals worth more than others. So we do it to our own, uh, our own environment, our own planet. We label things as other 
and we hunt them down until they're gone. I don't want to live in a world like that. I don't want to be a person like that. I don't want to be in a family like that. I want to respect the differences that are happening in me and outside of me to continue that till I die. And that requires using that muscle, that spiritual discipline as you spoke about. And if this feels a little ranty from us, that's because it is. Uh, this is this is kind of honestly this conversation that we're having right now is really motivating a lot of the planning that we're having as we move forward uh, with the show. There's a yes. lot of things that we want to talk about that um, that we're planning that are kind of you wouldn't expect us to kind of connect with Christianity to connect with our tradition, but yes. that to really show that there's a much more open and wide road to the places that we can go with our thoughts and and with our philosophies and with our engagement with culture that a lot of probably for those of you that are listening if you're coming from more conservative backgrounds have been restricted for so long right. in the way that people approach church and christianity and we want to we kind of want to open the floodgates to use a, <laughs> a you know a traditional uh <laughs> talk about um, the ways that other philosophies have impacted us for the good i mentioned right. that it has made me a better christian we're going to talk about those things we're going to have episodes about the most heretical or disrespected theologies in in our christian upbringing because there are things that have been off limits um, that have been extremely negative that have actually helped us. And so we're going to be we're going to be celebrating that stuff. And it might be surprising for sure. That's right. So let us know what you think. Add your voice to this particular conversation. Send us a note on what you would like it to hear us talk about in the future. And you can do that at the show notes at irenacast.com slash 104. And uh, there you'll also find a complete uh, list of all the links relevant to this conversation and a complete list of all the ways you can follow, like, and contact the show. That's irenacast.com slash 104. Uh, and I would side, leave, before you say on the other side of the music, I would leave one little uh, thing I just want to encourage you to do. Read some snippets of the Malleus Maleficarum because it's Halloween. Go look in the mirror and think deeply about yourself. That's it. And say Candyman three times. And <laughs> say Bloody Mary four times. <laughs> On the other side of the music, we are going to be Jesus juking some horror movie tropes. So Jesus Juke is probably at least one of my favorite segments that we do on the show where we take a word or a phrase or an idea and we have to flip it around and turn it into a sermon illustration. And as a, as a preacher myself, this is something that uh, I've probably done for real on too many occasions <laughs> when I didn't have a sermon prepared. Uh, <laughs> so I've had a lot of practice in this. But this week's edition this is, is – I have to say this is one of the oldest we have, right? Yeah, and this it, is the uh, first one we did, I think. This it first... comes from – uh, John Acuff or Acuff, I can never say his name right. He's a funny dude. You should follow him on Facebook. Um, he puts a lot of funny stuff up. I guess he's written a few books, but he used to always. Uh, I think it's stuff. Uh, Christian Christian culture or stuff Christians like or something like that. He wrote a book, and uh, he's the one to originally term that the Jesus Duke. And it's that awkward moment when someone comes in and it's like, speaking of stripes talks, have you heard about Jesus? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> dude, what are you talking about? And then randomly taking that left turn real fast, like juking you in, in basketball. Um, I almost started this in my church, Jeff. Uh, like having this as like a a, a, a game thing. during service? <laughs> yeah, a kid's thing. So the kids, the kids message at my home church growing up, I visited. And what they do is they have a surprise box. And so a kid gets to take it home. 
and they come back with any uh, item they want and they put it in the box and then the pastor opens it and pulls out the object and has to make a sermon from it. <laughs> and so the kids try to stump the pastor or whatever. And I was like, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, <laughs> but it sounds fun. <laughs> it's something I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for this particular edition of Jesus Jew, we are going to do exclusive we're gonna we're gonna jesus juke horror movie tropes and uh there's because it's halloween several of them i don't know how many of you out there that are listening in the irenaverse i'm gonna coin that right now um are <laughs> oh uh are horror movie oh. fans but i myself personally am a huge horror movie fan uh, alan i don't think not so much right not bit. so much no. not so much i like the psychological stuff that makes you feel like empty inside when you're done but not so much like the scary <laughs> gore <laughs> Oh, man. That is quite revealing, Alan. Yeah, I know it always is. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna take a trope, and then the other host has to Jesus juke it, turn it into a way to to further the gospel. Um, so, Alan, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? I think you should start preaching. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna go. I have three. I'll I'll go with this one. Uh, the ominous fog rolling into town. So a, a trope is where you see like this common thing this thing that is repeated over and over in different stories or different movies kind of like a meme within a movie yeah and uh all tropes are so much fun so ominous fog i think of lots of movies what's that well there's one called the the fog fog? and there's one called the mist so this is is the one where there's that crazy christian and the which one's the one where they're hiding in a grocery store? I don't know. Crazy like a crazy Christian is a trope for every horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it is. Which horror movie has a crazy Christian? Okay. I don't know. Let's do <laughs> all of them. <laughs> okay, Let's so the ominous, the, the ominous fog. The ominous fog. Okay. So one evening I was driving down a dark back backtown road, had my headlights on, and I approached this wall of fog and I'm going through this mist and I have no idea what's on the other side because I'm in an area that is not familiar to me. And my initial reaction in the midst of that fog is to shine more light on it, to (laughs) use my own resources to (laughs) allow myself to see better in the midst of this fog. So I turn on my brights and it becomes worse. And despite all the things that I tried to do to see better, I could not get rid of the fog. And I had to trust the Holy Spirit's guidance through this ominous fog where the unknown is always in front of me. It's important that when we hit in situations in our life where we are surrounded by the fog of discertainty, to not to lean on our understanding, but to lean on the understanding and the principles of God and allow him to guide us through the him, fog. of course. Yes. <laughs> Well, this is the you're, right. You're way too good at this. <laughs> way too good. Oh my gosh, that's freaking. That's perfect. Hey, it's actually really scary when you can't see in the fog. I have to say that. And of course, you're not going to tell your congregation to just stop, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> stop driving and like be careful and take care of yourself. No, no, no. God will guide Holy you. Spirit. <laughs> Which you can only see one of those white, like one of the lines in front of you. Oh so that gosh. using a horror movie trope, I Very then nice. turned it around on a conservative Christian trope. That's right. I love it. <laughs> the tropes yeah, of the well. gospel. <laughs> All right, dude. I'm, I'm, it was fun when Mona was here because we could vote on him, but I think you, you were the winner anyway. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> that takes the cake right there, dude. It definitely does. Okay, what do you have for me? All right. This is probably my favorite trope. I'm emptying my mind. Toys that come alive. <laughs> Toy Soldiers is such a good movie. I rewatched it, and uh, Tobias Funke is in there, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Small Soldiers, that's what it is. Uh, Toy Soldiers. Um, okay. In one of my favorite movies, Small Soldiers, I'm going to reference it. <laughs> uh, there are these kids who are whiny, and they want all the best toys, and they're not satisfied with the ones that they have. He works in a shop where I think his dad or his uncle has all these old toys, and they're made of wood, and they don't have all the new parts. And so he's constantly watching these TV advertisements of all these different toys that are shiny and new and different. And he asks so much for him, and actually I think he steals one of them or finds him off the back of a truck. And little does he know, the more he collects, the more danger he's in. Because that stuff he just plays around with ends up being really dangerous for him. They come alive on him and start attacking his home, his family, and his neighborhood. And just like those toys, thoughts that you have that are not in line with scripture, uh, other traditions that you might read and people you might listen to, you might collect these things. You maybe put a statue of Buddha in your room or... uh a picture of a different religious tradition and to you it's just fun they're just new and exciting but little do you know they can ruin your entire neighborhood <laughs> i tried they are they, they are alive with heresies <laughs> alive with heresies. they are alive with heresies and ready to walk at any moment and parade around like a roaring lion <laughs> i'm out of touch man <laughs> your reference to late 90s uh movie that wasn't even a horror one but it's okay dude it's okay. it is a horror one man i'm telling you i'm serious if you watch it again you'll realize it's a horror movie it really is you know like the most horrifying movie scene of me with alive toys was not like something like chucky but it was in toy story 3 where all the toys oh, are holding yeah. hands and they're about to accept oh, death dude <laughs> i'm sitting in the theater dark, like this is a dark moment this is so heavy <laughs> that was crazy. Like, i'm an adult i'm an adult <laughs> <laughs> And then you're thinking about your whole family and everyone you know headed towards death because it's true. <laughs> oh, man. That was intense. <laughs> you're all holding hands. All right. What's up? Well, let's see. What's the next one? Oh, okay. Uh, I guess this is – no, it's not the same, but it's along the same lines. This horror movie trope is called It Won't Turn Off. So the presence of otherworldly elements around technology – Stop it from turning off. So occasionally a stubborn ghost or haunting creature will keep a machine doing what it wants past the point that physics finds it possible. I don't know why it's still on. It's unplugged. That's so funny to me that you – I could tell by the tone of your voice you were literally reading a definition Hey, the trope was. I am. I just took, I just took two sentences. Okay. All right. So something that won't turn off. So I'm, I'm going I'm to take a positive route with this one. There you go. Okay. And again, I just want to clarify as we go through these things, we are not Jesus juking into something that we actually believe. We are, in a <laughs> sense, troping <laughs> a lot of the things that we yes. have heard growing up. So just, just to let that go. And and as a framework, I grew up in a Pentecostal um, oh, gosh. framework. Okay. You wake up in the morning, you turn off your alarm clock, you get dressed, and you go to work. You work your job. You work hard. And you remember that for every difficult moment that you have, you're not working for your boss. You're working for God. And that every 
amount of money that you receive from that job is from God and God's blessing will be on you as you take that money and you give back, you tithe to the church, you give your 10%, you give to the missionary that comes to your church and it will be a constant flow as God begins to repay you back is that you will have so much blessing and abundance for your giving that you won't be able to shut it off. It'll open up the floodgates of goodness and <laughs> and riches and blessings in your life as you continue to give. And, and no matter how hard you try to turn off that switch, God's blessings won't stop because they are unstoppable. And you have the power and the ability to tap into them and be part of what God wants to do in the world today. Very good. <laughs> Like a ghost inside of a TV. <laughs> God's right. blessing will not stop. Never turn off. <laughs> oh, that's good. Like that. I think I believe. Thank you. Good. I felt like I should act for a collection after that. <laughs> I know, right? Now, what's your uh, bank account number? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'll send you some spring water from... <laughs> I'll send you some uh, automatic payments that will not stop. <laughs> So it can make sure that right. the blessing's flowing. I, did you ever call or did you ever like uh, no, do one of those I've infomercials? Touched, I actually feel like kind of sick when I see it. So uh, believe it or not, I've never. I yeah. called once and I got really? I got a handkerchief that was supposed to be blessed. Uh, you showed me that. Someone the, had stepped on it though. <laughs> and the best thing about the handkerchief is that they literally, it was just a cloth, like something you'd find right. in a Sunday school room. And they had like, it was a craft. It was the shape of his hand. Oh, it was a hand. Okay, so I thought he stepped on it, but you're no, right. It, it was, was a hand. hand. He cut the like, like, he had, <laughs> like he had a work. Traced his hand. Whatever church he was a pastor of was just all the Sunday school kids were making his cloth with little hands, oh, a little dude, blessing assembly line. That's so bad. Although I would love to think of myself as being so powerful, I could just cut out, you know, cutouts of my body and mail them to different people and have them hang them up in their house, and then think that every time they look at me, they're blessed. It's true. That would be a good place to be. It would be. I like that. <laughs> I could do that. We need to. We need to bring back Mona and and. Did let's you ever listen and create let's a do cult? Rent a cast. Uh, yeah, create a cult. I I was there. I think. Uh, no, you weren't there I for that one. To it, you listened okay. to it. Yeah, it was so a really need, good episode. We need to bring you in to the the create a cult. So we'll. Yeah, we'll, we'll I already look like a cult leader. You know, I have <laughs> more hair on my chin than I do on my head, so it's like a cult leader thing. It's a trope. Um. Although yeah. you can't tell right? that the bald the bald cult leader with a giant beard did that's a trope. It's less of a, it's totally less of a religious trope now, more of like a hipster coffee house trope at this oh, point. Gosh. <laughs> All right, you ready for your your final Jesus juke? It's a final countdown. Okay, yep. so I'm I'm looking for some creativity on this one, Alan. Oh, dude, I I told you I woke up a little bit sniffly, so I don't have a whole lot left. Shouldn't affect it. You're 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 a child of God. You have the. I'm gonna rely on my. Numa video inspired illustration of not using my own power <laughs> That's to right. see the way forward. I'm going to turn the lights off and just let the Holy Spirit guide me. Okay, so here's the trope. All right. The guy that doesn't tell the rest of the group that they've been bitten by the zombie. Mm. <laughs> this is a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> my brain. All I'm thinking of is like Shaun of the Dead is just playing over and over in my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um Okay, so uh sometimes you just really feel God. You have been 
touched by the spirit of God in such a way that it just, it changes things inside of you. It just changes your makeup, your chemistry, your DNA, almost like a zombie who bit you would change your entire body. You just feel it. It changes everything. I love zombie movies. So I'm going to use that illustration. It just changes everything about you, even your DNA. And, uh, you know, when, when you don't, there's always someone that doesn't tell the rest of the group about being bit by a zombie. And when you don't share that transformation with other people, it just eats you from the inside out. It just consumes you and it doesn't help anyone else. And that guy should have just told everyone that he experienced this change. So the whole group could have had that information and, and been better for it. Just when you feel God bite you, you have to tell people. You just have to. Nice. There you go. There you go. And Jesus technically is a zombie, right? Technically. He was raised from the dead. I don't know if he bites people. Does he bite anyone's ear off? No. Just... <laughs> He's Mike not Mike Tyson. Tyson. <laughs> like I said, cold medicine is getting to my head. All right. Well, then with that, that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoy what you hear and you want to support Irenacast, you can go to irenacast.com slash support for a list of ways in which you can do that. Uh, and, and let us know what you think about the show. Let us know about different things you'd like to see us do and talk about. Uh, we have, we have a lot of really great episodes planned coming up, like we said before. So we're excited to share that with you. Um, so for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Alan. Happy Halloween. Yes. Happy Halloween. Thanks for joining the conversation. 